Church family, would you bring, take your Bible to Lamentations? I have such a short amount of time. I have 20 minutes this morning to teach this lesson. and I want to kind of walk through this with you this morning um, as much as I can. And really, there's more scripture. I need to read more scripture than normal, too, because of these two chapters going together. Lamentations 1 and 2. We are going through, so bear with me as I speed through uh, this lesson this morning. I want to give you as much information, but also really give the thought this morning that would be helpful to all of us. But in Lamentations, we understand the word Lamentations means lament. It means what we call, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah voiced what God was feeling about his people. I want to say that again so you don't miss it. Jeremiah voiced what God was feeling toward his people. Lamentations is really a picture of God's people, Judah specifically, going into captivity under Babylon. And it was because they had sinned against God. And God had to punish them and chasten them. And it's because he loved them, but he had to punish them and chase them. And so here, Jeremiah, speaking really through the voice of God on how he felt about God's people having to going into captivity. And we're going to read verses that will really, really prove that and show that. And then I want to teach a lesson, again, it'll be short this morning, but I want to teach a lesson this morning on God's discipline and chastening hand in our life and what it's about, because it is so parallel with what happened to Judah the nation of Judah. So let's look at our Bible now. I want to start with what the title of your lesson is, and that's in verse number 16. The title comes right from this verse, Lamentations chapter 1, verse 16. For these things I weep, mine eye runneth down with water. If you'll look to chapter 2, look at verse, uh, verse number 11, same idea here, verse number 11. Mine eyes do fail with tears, my bowels are troubled, my liver is poured upon the earth. For why? For the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the sucklings swoon in the streets of the city. Now, church, I mean, lamentations is the lamenting or mourning, the cries of Jeremiah, again, a picture of God's heart, for his people because of what uh, destruction came to Judah. Now, church, I mean, think Jeremiah's name's not mentioned in Lamentation as far as being the author, but uh, you have a couple things that really show that, the similarities between the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations as far as its writing. You also have a firsthand uh, eyewitness experience of the children of Judah going into captivity, which Jeremiah would have had that. And obviously he was in prison at the time, but he would have had that. And so God uses Jeremiah to write the book of Lamentations. All right, so we're looking at the book of Lamentations. Let me just read some verses with you this morning to, again, to get in our mind what's going on. Just for me, the reason I believe that Jeremiah, through inspiration of, of God, the reason he wrote, for these things I weep. In other words, he's brokenhearted. He's in tears. He's crying. He says, and by the way, whenever you find these things, you ought to look up prior to find out what these things are. In other words, what was he crying about? What brought tears to his heart and mind, all right? A couple things, and again, I'm going to have to jump around here, but look at verse number one, chapter one. How doth the city sit solitary? Now, notice the past tense of the words. That was full of people. How has she become as a widow? Look at the past tense. She that was great among the nations. And of course, uh, verse number three, Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. Jump down to verse five. Her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper. Why? For the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Verse six. And from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. Now, church, I mean, think about this. We're talking about Jerusalem. We're talking about the nation of Judah, but Jerusalem specifically is where the temple was. And they were destroyed. The walls broken down. The gates are burned. 
the temple is burned. The great men's houses are burned. The palace of the king is, is burned. The people are taken into captivity. So all of these past tense Jeremiah is writing about, hey, I remember what her beauty was like. I remember how strong she was. I remember how God blessed her and all of that is gone. Jump down now to verse number eight. Jerusalem hath, hath grievously, chapter one, verse eight, Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore. Again, whenever you find the word therefore, you're about to find out the reason for what happened, all right? So she's grievously sinned, therefore, because of her sin, what's taken place? She, Jerusalem, Judah, and the nation of Israel, she is removed, all that honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness, yea, she sigheth. Church family, if I can just point out the words between verses 8 through 22, again, much of this chapter, all of the rest of it, talks about all the things that Jerusalem had to go through. All right, and again, I'm going quickly here, but verse 9, her filthiness is in her skirt, she remembereth not that of her last end. Therefore she came down wonderfully, she had no comforter, O Lord, behold my affliction. Verse number 11, all her people do what? Sigh, they seek bread, they have given their pleasant things, talking about their children, they have given their pleasant things for meat to relieve the soul. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become vile. Verse 12, is it nothing to you, all you that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me. Verse number 13, the last phrase, he hath made, talking about God, he hath made me desolate and faint all the day. Verse 14, the yoke of my transgressions is bound by his hand, God's hand. Uh, they are wreathed and come up upon me, up upon my neck. He hath made my strength to fall. Verse 15, the Lord hath trodden underfoot all my mighty men in the midst of me. Verse 16, for these things I weep. Look at verse uh, 17, Zion uh, spreadeth forth her hands and there is none to comfort her. Verse 18, the Lord is righteous for I've rebelled against his commandment. Here I pray you all people and behold my sorrow. Verse 20, behold, O Lord, for I am in what? Distress. Please stay with me now. Verse 20, I am in distress. My bowels are what? Troubled, mine heart is turned within me, for I have grievously rebelled. Verse 21, they have heard that I sigh, there is none to comfort me. Verse 22, let all their wickedness come before thee, and do unto them as thou, talking about the enemies, do unto them as thou hast done unto me, to Judah, for all the, my transgressions, for my sighs are many, and my heart is faint. Now, I read portions, because of time this morning, to get you to see trouble, sorrow, sighings, tears, problems, uh, losing their children, they're in famine, they don't have bread, all of this, we're in captivity. Why? Because of their transgressions, because of their sin. Can I just remind you that if you're a child of God, you can't get away from the chastening hand of God. If you are doing wrong, you cannot get away from God spanking us. I want to tell you, sometimes the backslider gets pretty bold. The backslider gets to the place where they think, hey, no, uh, nothing's going to change. Everything's fine. I can do my own thing and I can do what I want. Yeah, you can do what you want till you get to the pig pen or you can do what you want until God says, I've had enough. But God's timing is not like our timing. We look at a person's life and they run from God and we think, how is it that they seemed after two and three and five years that everything is great? I want to tell you that, you can't, that the scripture cannot be broken. God says, my son, despise not the chasing of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the father, the son in whom he delighteth. Hebrews chapter number 12, very, very clear about that. That if you're not a child of God, or I'm sorry, if you are without chasing, then you're not a child of God. So again, the children of Judah, the picture here is they had done wrong and they had to suffer the consequences for their wrongdoing. All right, if you're still with me, say Amen. amen. I'm laying a lot of groundwork that I wish I had time to really lay correctly. I want you to notice chapter two. Now, before I read some verses here, 
it's interesting because it talks about God and what God did to the children of Israel specifically in chapter number, uh, chapter number two. And church, I mean, 27 times in chapter 22 alone, it talks about what the Lord hath done or that he hath. It uses the word he hath or hath 27 times, all right? Let me just point out quickly a couple of them because that's going to lay the groundwork for our thought and message this morning. Look at verse number one, chapter number two. How hath the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud to, in his anger and cast down from heaven unto the earth the beauty of Israel and remembered not his footstool in the day of his anger? The Lord hath... Swallowed up all the inhabitants of Jacob and hath not pitied. He hath, God, he hath thrown down in his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He hath brought them down to the ground. He hath polluted the kingdom and the princes thereof. He hath cut off in his fierce anger all the horn of Israel. He hath drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. Verse 4. He hath bent his bow like an enemy. He stood with his right hand as an adversary. Talking about God now, God against Judah. Verse 5, the Lord was an enemy. He hath swallowed up Israel. He hath swallowed up all her palaces. He hath destroyed his strongholds and hath increased to the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. Verse 6, and he hath violently taken away his tabernacle as if they were of a garden. He hath destroyed his places of the assembly. The Lord hath caused the solemn feast and Sabbath to be forgotten. Verse 7, the Lord hath cast off his altar. He hath abhorred his sanctuary. He hath given unto the, into the hand of the enemy. Verse 8, the Lord hath purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He hath stretched out a line. He hath not withdrawn his hand. Now, church, I, mean, I know we can keep going this morning. I'm not trying to bore you, nor am I trying to um, uh, just run through this this morning. But chapter number 2 is about what God did to the children of Israel for their sin. What is the book of Lamentations about? It's about the heart of God hurting for his people because he did what he warned them he was going to do if they sinned. They went unto false gods. They turned from God and God said, listen, I'm warning you that if you go to Baal and to Ashtaroth and to Milcom and these false graven images that I'm going to destroy you for what you're doing. And that's exactly what took place. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, the five major prophets. What did these pre-captivity, and then of course during captivity, and then post-captivity, what did these prophets all say? Listen, in the pre-captivity, if you would just turn to God, God would bless you. If you don't turn to God, God's going to punish you, right? That's the whole idea here. How many of you are saved this morning? Say amen. amen. Then as a child of God, we should fear God because God will punish us if we disobey him. And I know people want to make excuses, either people who are lost or people who are backslide. You know, God, you know, he shouldn't be some guy that's up in heaven just looking down on how he can beat us when we do wrong. That's not God. Amen. That's like saying, I don't believe God would send anybody to hell. Well, what they're trying to say is, is, you know, I don't have to go to hell because God's supposed to be loving. God is loving for God so loved the world. What did he do? That he gave his only begotten son. Amen. We don't see God like we should see God. And even as Christians, we don't see God like we should see God. God is a loving father that takes care of his own. And he's got a purpose and plan for his chasing. Now, I want to just briefly, in my last nine minutes this morning, I want to talk to you just briefly about this idea of the chasing hand of God and what God is trying to do when he chastens us. Church, I mean, I don't know about you, but I think that all of us should have a proper fear of God, that God does discipline as his children. You know, we have a generation of Christians that are growing up right now that had no discipline in the home, so they don't believe that there's a discipline in God. 
We have children that are being raised right now that there's no fear of a spanking or discipline by mom and dad. And so what happens, they grow up and it's like, God, what is that? What is that? I mean, what's he going to do? It's because we're not teaching our children through the discipline of a father in a home of what the discipline of our heavenly father. And by the way, there's no way to match the two, but God's given us the similitude of what a father does in the home is what our heavenly father does as our father. All righty. So again, God chastens us. God disciplines us. You know, my, my dad was a strong disciplinarian. I'm telling you what, he was definitely more truth than mercy, but I love my father. And I think the reason I love my father is because he was a disciplinarian. You know, kids today are growing up without one spanking in the home. Spanking doesn't start when they're 16. Spanking starts when they're children. And I'm talking about in infancy as they grow up. You say, someone texts me, text me the day, when do I start spanking my child? As soon as you know that they know that what you told them to do and they said no, that's when you start spanking. You say, man alive, that's... That's like a year into it, a year and a half. It's not very, that's pretty young, all right? We're not talking about beating children and hitting them and throwing them against the wall. We're talking about proper discipline. And when you look at today's lesson, I think you're going to understand that from today's lesson, the way God disciplines us is how we're supposed to discipline our children, all right? Now, let me, I hope you'll understand as we go through this. First thing I want you to think about, and it should be in your lesson this morning, is when it comes to the discipline or chastening hand of God, God always chastens justly. Now, here's what I mean that. Look at your Bible again, Lamentations 1, look at verse 18. In Lamentations 1, verse number 18, after the whole chapter of what they were going through, sorrow and sighing and trouble and pain and captivity, look what they said in verse 18. The Lord is, what's the next word? Why was he righteous? For I have rebelled against his commandments. Trisha, I mean, can I just tell you that God never has a bad day when it comes to chasing. God never makes a bad decision when it comes to discipline. You know, as a parent, sometimes I discipline and I, and I, I scratch my head and I think to myself, I don't know if I, should, if I did that correctly. I don't know if I did it enough. I don't know if I should have used the rod this time or if I should have used reproof this time. So sometimes I wonder, and I obviously, you know, God leads us and directs us as parents as far as what we're supposed to do. But can I just tell you, God's always just. God is always right. You know, I don't quite understand when I look at life and I look at Christianity as, and Christians as a whole, and I think, okay, God seemingly came down hard on this person over here, but man, God sure was merciful to this guy, to guy over here. But just remember, we can't see the heart of people. And it's not us, for us to judge whether or not God should have came down harder on this person or lighter on that. That's not of our business. That's right. But I can promise you this one thing, that God's judgment is always right. I like this, the verse in Deuteronomy 32, 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. What's the last part? Just and right is he. Just and right is he. Just and right is he. Brother Mark, thank you very much. Help me out there. Just and right and he. He's just getting a door. I'm sorry. Just and right. Church family, man, as a parent, I make mistakes. God does not make a mistake. We don't have to wonder, God, you shouldn't have done that. Or God, why did you do that? God knows exactly what we need. And when it comes to the chastening hand of God, sometimes that chastening hand is on a nation like it was with Judah. You don't think that America has done enough wrong that God will bring down his chastening hand upon us? And I know that we are part of the whole when it comes to being a citizen of the United States of America. But I'm telling you something. Our country is doing some really weird and wacky and wrong things in our society right now. And I'm still glad I'm an American. I love the United States of America. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. 
But I want to tell you, God judges America for what she's doing. You can't get, a, get by this thing of killing babies and promoting homosexuality and taking the Ten Commandments out of the public school and taking out prayer and not using Jesus' name and all of this political correctness, which is truthfully foolishness and sinfulness. That God brings his chastening hand upon a nation. Just for me, but trickle it down. God brings his chastening hand upon a family and God brings his chastening hand upon an individual. And we should understand, hey, listen, if we do wrong, we've got no complaints. God's righteous. All right. Second thing I want you to see quickly this morning is not only is God chastens justly, but God chastens with mercy. I think this is a wonderful premise. And again, not enough time to really to really deal with this premise. But I like the verse out of Psalm 103. I don't have time to turn to it, so I'm going to have to read it to you. Psalm 103, verse 8 says this, The Lord's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. And this is the verse I often quote. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Psalm 103, verse 8 through 10, 8, 9, and 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. How many is glad God doesn't give you what you deserve? How many glad that God didn't throw you away when you made a mistake or when you did something wrong? I was talking to one of my children this week, and um, all my kids are starting to get older in that age bracket of being their, their own person, and God's developing them into what they need to be. And, and uh, one, of my, one of my children this week, he made a mistake, and I, said, I, I told him, I said, listen, I just want you to realize the reason you made that mistake is to get you to realize that other people make mistakes too. Sometimes as my kids get older, they get to, get to be judgmental on, with their siblings on, you know, well, they shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I just looked at them and I said, hey, listen, maybe the Lord let this happen in your life so that you can figure out people make mistakes just like you did. Yeah, right. I want to tell you something. We've got to be careful that we're not judgmental. But what I'm trying to get you to see this morning, I'm thankful for the mercy of God. I'm, glad, I'm thankful that he doesn't just throw us away. I'm thankful that he uses us. I'm thankful that when he does discipline us, he's kind about it. Do you remember when David had sinned, it, uh, when it was the numbering of the people and 70,000 people were, were killed? You remember when David had, God gave him three choices, all right? He said, listen, I can have your enemies come against you. He says, I, I can, and there's actually three particular ones, but the third one was, I can send pestilence among you. And you know what David's response was? Let me fall into the hand of God because he's merciful. Amen. Here's what David was saying. I deserve to be punished and I was wrong for what I've done. But God... Would you be merciful? And David knew God would be merciful. So when it comes to, by the way, I hope you get the parallel this morning. What should I do as a father? I should be just in my discipline. What should I do in my, as a father? I should be merciful in my discipline. Just, isn't it interesting when it talks about the kings in the book of Proverbs? The Bible says, mercy and truth preserve the king, but his throne is upholden by mercy. Think about that, first phrase, second phrase. Mercy and truth upholds the king. But he, says, but he says, mercy, out of those two, mercy is the most important one. Amen. Truth, this is what's, it's right or wrong, truth. But mercy, you have to have mercy. And by the way, God has mercy on us. So when it comes to the chastening hand of God, he chastens justly. When it comes to the chastening hand of God, he chastens with mercy. Next of all, I like this one, okay? Revelation 3.18, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Proverbs 13, 24, he that spareth his rod hateth his son. Well, I don't spank my children because I love them. Wrong. That's not what the Bible says. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him 
chasteneth him betimes. The word betimes means early. That's why the, early, the younger our children are, the more they need discipline. But we understand this morning that God, first of all, chastens justly. Second of all, God chastens with mercy. And third of all, God chastens because he loves us. He loves us. He loves us like we can't even imagine. We love him because we can't even comprehend the love of God. That God chose me to be saved and not have to go to hell. God called me to be saved so I don't have to go to hell. And I answered that call. And you, if you're saved, you answer the call because for God so loved. Why does God chasten us? God does not chasten us because he hates us. Oh, I just, you know, I can't wait to spank them. <laughs> God doesn't do that. If you're a parent, one of the hardest things you do with parenting is not making a living for your family. One of the hardest things you do with parenting is disciplining your children. Kids don't understand that. <laughs> you know, the old adage, you know, dad used to say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And you'd say, would you please give me the paddle, then let's switch places. <laughs> God loves us. Amazing love of God. Church, the last thing is this, and I will go a couple minutes over this morning, but I want you to think about this. this to me, this is what really brings it all together. God's chasing is just. God's chasing is with mercy. God's chasing is because he loves us. But God chastens us to draw us back to him. The, the preeminent truth, I think, about the prodigal son, and I know there's a lot of truths in it, you know, and I, without going through them all, but the preeminent truth is God took him back. Do you understand that when the prodigal son went away, the father did not run after him to pull him back. The prodigal son had to get to a pig pen, which was the chastening hand of God. But what was the whole purpose of that? That he would come to himself and come back to the father. Amen. Do you understand that the chastening hand of God, when God punishes us, he brings grief in our life. He brings hurt in our life. He, he causes us to have a financial loss in our life. Whatever it might be that God brings into our life. And by the way, what is it? Isaiah 59 two? as for our iniquities, we know them. Nobody has to tell Brother Fellow you, listen, you're messing up in this area, this area, and this area. There's a Holy Spirit inside of him that tells him you've messed up in this area and this area. But what does God do when he gets grieved or hurt or problem or, and he knows it's because of his own iniquity? What is it all about? It's because there's a God that punishes justly. It's a God because he's merciful. He doesn't give, give us what we deserve. There's a God that does it because he loves us. And there's a God that's saying, hey, listen, I, my arms are wide open. I just want you back. There's some of you in here that you've had children that have gone wayward and they're not doing right. But there is not a parent in here that doesn't want them back. Amen. Your heavenly father wants you back so badly. He just wants you back. Amen. If you're here in the city school hour, it's probably not you're probably not the person running from God if you're here for Sunday school. But I'm just telling you something. There's a bunch of people who are sideways with God and they don't understand. It's not that God's trying to kick them out. It's that God's trying to draw them in. Aren't you glad we got a God like that? He's just, he's merciful, he loves us. And it's just because I want you back. And that's what the Lord wants to do. That's, that was all, that's all God was trying to tell, to tell Judah. Judah, yeah, you're in captivity. Yeah, you've lost lives. Yes, you've lost everything. 
but you haven't lost me. I just want you back. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning?